Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal. This is Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Adam Moline. We're privileged to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, 3825 Wildbriar Lane. Come join us anytime you like. The purpose of At Home in Your Hymnal is to get you at home, comfortable with your hymnal in the divine service, your family devotions at home. We've uh, been looking at the divine service and picking apart every uh, every aspect of that divine service, but we've taken a little break in that. Our last episode, episode 11, we looked at the wonderful, the austere Easter Vigil Service. We invite you to join us for that Easter Vigil Service here at Good Shepherd, Easter Saturday, 6 p.m., uh, today, we're going to go backwards with our Triduum. The Triduum is the three days, that's Latin for three days, uh, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and the Easter Vigil. We're going to go backwards in this episode, episode 12. We're going to be looking at the Good Friday worship services, some of the most uh, reverent, solemn humble services in our church calendar. Pastor, just a, a couple of words of the Triduum in general and how the Good Friday service fits in that Triduum. Now, the Triduum begins on Thursday with Monday Thursday and the institution of the Lord's Supper. At the end of the Monday Thursday service, the altar uh, is stripped in the church, meaning all the paraments and the decorations are taken down, uh, also from the pulpit and the lectern. Uh, the candles are put away. Everything is stripped, reminding us of how Christ was stripped before he was beaten uh, and even before he was crucified. Uh, and that brings us then to Good Friday. The church is still empty uh, and dark, and uh, we come in and uh, worship during the hours that Christ was on the cross with the first service, uh, which is the Tre Ore. Uh, and then in the evening, we have a second service, the Tenebrae Vespers of Darkening, uh, where we remember Christ being buried in the tomb in the evening of Good Friday. Um, he was placed in the tomb before sunset, we know. Uh, and then on Saturday, we have the Easter Vigil, where we uh, anxiously anticipate and look forward to the resurrection of Christ. Technically, all these services are one. Uh, we begin Monday, Thursday with the invocation, and we don't hear a benediction until we get to uh, Easter Saturday at the Easter Vigil. And so it's one service that goes over three days, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, thus the name Triduum. The uh, And thank you. That was a, a marvelous uh, recap and uh, explanation. I want to read from the altar book, from one of the rubrics here, the uh, general notes for Good Friday. Good Friday is not observed as a funeral for Christ. And I think that's a very, very important thing for us to remember. This is not somber because we're going to a funeral. This is somber because we are looking at the weight of, of our sin being placed upon the Son of God. It is indeed a good Friday for us. It was not good for Jesus, but it was. it is good for us. Continuing on in the altar book. It is a day for repentance over sin and restrained joy and praise for the redemption Christ accomplished for us on the cross. In keeping with this character, music is kept to a minimum, though not silenced. Elaborate words of praise are omitted. The altar remains bare, having been stripped on Holy Thursday. 
This is the chief service for Good Friday. It contains a number of ancient elements, and after I read through these, Pastor, I want you to comment on these as you choose. Uh, Particularly, the the full reading of the Passion, according to St. John, the bidding prayer, or biting prayer, depending on what seminary you went to, the cross procession and the reproaches, and the responsory. Given the solemnity of the day, silence is observed at various times in order to reflect upon the Word of God. Because the service is part of the Triduum, it has neither entrance rite nor benediction. The concluding hymn ensures that the final note of the service is one of triumph. For God's faithful, know the end of the story. Okay, I listed off several things there, Pastor, and just... uh, at at will, whatever uh, whatever you feel like, uh, pick up on some of that. Yeah, the order of worship here is uh, traditional in Lutheranism. It goes back many, 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 many years. Uh, on uh, Holy or on Good Friday, uh, Saint uh, John's Passion and Saint Matthew's Passion were often performed by Bach. This is uh, very elaborate. Some of his greatest works. They were uh, about an hour and a half to two hours long where the Passion uh, account from the Gospels was sung, interspersed with hymns and arias and um, uh, beautiful orchestration. Uh, Bach spent the entire season of Lent preparing uh, his, uh, his orchestra and singers for that, and so that's a big part of the service. It goes back a long, long time. How long before, uh, before we can see something like that here at Good Shepherd? Well, the, uh, as elaborate as Bach's Passions, probably... Um, Never. Probably never, but there are other ones. Uh, for example, by a, a man, I think his name was Walther. There's simpler ones that we've done even in North Dakota that we can do here. Uh, it's not the Walther, CFW Walther, but a different guy that lived at the time of Bach that did a simpler one. Um, and so, you know, those are things that we can still do. Um, we um, we do have the bidding prayer and the cross procession. The cross uh, is uh, usually a big rough cut cross and it's laid up on the altar covered uh, and we uh, uh, we uncover it reminding us that uh, that's the thing that Jesus had to do to forgive us of all of our sins is go to the cross bleed and die uh, and so there is a lot of solemn uh, important um, symbolism within this particular service that I think it makes it worthwhile coming taking off your lunch hour and attending church okay now we have this Latin word treori and uh, you've said on several occasions that it means three hours. It does not mean a three-hour worship service. What three hours are we talking about, Pastor? Well, um, it has to do with the time Jesus spent on the cross. Uh, according to the Gospels, Jesus spent six hours on the cross. He's crucified at about nine in the morning, uh, and then he is dead and taken down about three in the afternoon. Uh, that uh, period of time that Jesus spends on the cross is divided into two. Uh, the first half is when um, you know, the day was going about in its normal way and the sun was shining. The second three hours, Scripture tells us that there was darkness on the face of the earth. Um, whether that means that um, uh, it got cloudy or it got completely dark, you know, it's not completely clear, but uh, we know that that's what happened. Uh, God caused uh, there to be no light uh, on the world uh, in some way at the last three hours of Christ. And so it's those last three hours that uh, the word treore uh, represents the three hours that Christ hung in the dark on the cross outside of Jerusalem on Golgotha. 
Okay, so the Treori is the three hours of darkness while Jesus is hanging on the cross, the last three hours that Jesus is on the cross. And for many churches, this noontime service, this Treori service, it's held at roughly the same time when Jesus is actually hanging on the cross in the dark. Many times congregations use this time to focus on the words that Jesus spoke from the cross during this time. So comment, Pastor. I know this is something we've done here at Good Shepherd for, uh, I think, the entire 22 years that I've been here. And there are many congregations that, that this noon service, the primary focus of this service are the seven times Jesus spoke from the cross, little sermonettes, uh, uh, the wonderful hymn of 21 verses in our hymnal. When I was a little kid, I always dreamed of singing that hymn, and now we get to do it every year. Um, your comment on that kind of a focus for the Treori service. Well, it is interesting that as Jesus goes to the cross to bleed and to die, he never stops preaching and teaching. And so there are those seven times that he speaks uh, throughout the different Gospels from the cross. And uh, there are the churches that uh, focus on that as well. And we have freedom in that regard. We can focus on the passion of our Lord according to St. John, or we can focus on those seven words. Um, the way that traditionally the seven words are focused on is that you read uh, one word uh, that Christ spoke from the cross, and right after that you have a short sermon that expounds what that means and why he's saying those words, uh, and then you go on to the next next one, and in between each of those little sermonettes and scripture readings, you sing the hymn that you were uh, talking about, uh, Jesus in Thy Dying Woes, and um, uh, that is a traditional thing that happens as well within the Lutheran Church, and we have a, a great deal of freedom in how we approach this particular service, but still the focus is the same either way, uh, that Christ has to go to the cross to bleed and die to forgive us all of our sins. And I think that's why, too, whether you do the um, Passion or you do the seven last words of Christ, you also have the last part of the service where we have the reproaches that talk about our sin very upfrontly uh, and call us to account for that. And I know we'll get there in a few minutes as well. Uh, I think let's uh, take a couple of minutes just in general. Uh, we can we can read through these approaches when we come back from our break. But just in general, Pastor, what are reproaches and where do they come from? Yeah, um, reproaches are... Um, when you, maybe a way to think about it is the prophets in the Old Testament time who went uh, and preached a word from God that was a word of condemnation because of sin. This is the things that you have done that go against God's word. Uh, specifically, you did A, specifically, you did B, specifically, you did C. And because you've done those things, uh, this is the consequence. This is what's gone wrong. And so the reproaches uh, that we see, uh, say, and sing on uh, Good Friday uh, go through that. And so we have one from Micah uh, where it says, you know, what did I do to you? Um, Here's how I rescued you, and here's. what uh, you've done wrong and how I had to answer it uh, by my work and by my uh, my passion. And, and so it, it goes into those things very directly. It places sin squarely where it belongs upon us, 
uh, as our guilt, but then it also puts the solution to that sin squarely where it belongs, which is upon Christ crucified. When, uh, when I think of the word reproach, I think of Old Testament prophets, um, and it can be any of the prophets, the major prophets or the right, smaller uh, writing prophets, the minor prophets. And God, through the prophet, says, you have become a reproach to the nations. When I think of the word reproach, that's how I think of the word and the context. So put that context into Good Friday. How have we become a reproach to the nation? Well, because of our sin. How has Christ now become a reproach to the nations? Because he is the one who is carrying the sin of the world in himself and on himself. He who knew no sin has become sin as he hangs bleeding and dying on Calvary's cross. The greatest sinner of all time is Jesus. Just none of it's his own sin, it's ours. Yeah, that is is an amazing thought for us to hang on to as we go into our next break. This is at home in the hymnal. We are looking at the worship service on Good Friday. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. Uh, You uh, had just a little bit of heaven as you were listening to the music that we played for our intro. I want to thank Pastor Moline for uh, allowing us the use of his extensive music collection for that. Pastor, give us a few words about what we just heard and who wrote it and when he wrote uh, all that kind of stuff. Would you please? Yeah, so we talked in the first segment about uh, how traditionally at the uh, chief service of uh, Good Friday, we had passions sung. And what you heard was a small, small segment of Saint John, or sorry, Saint Matthew's Passion, which was written by Johann Sebastian Bach. Uh, he lived uh, from 1685 to 1750, and uh, that's uh, just a small, small part of the very first section of that Passion. And the way that it worked was uh, all the words of Saint Matthew's Gospel that had the Passion part in there 
were set to music. And then uh, in the midst of there, there was little segments of hymns like the one we just heard, which is, Dearest Jesus, what law hast thou broken? We still sing that in our church today. And uh, and so the, the lyrics of that particular uh, chorale that you just heard were, are this, Dearest Jesus, what is thy transgression that thou should be so punished? What is thy guilt? What is thy crime of thine? And uh, uh, just kind of, I don't know, to self-advertise here, we're starting a program where we're going through Bach um, uh, music uh, week by week, the, the music he had written for each week's church service. And when we get to Lent next year, uh, there are no cantatas for the season of Lent. And so we'll actually be going through some of these choral passions section by section uh, in my new program, Bringing Bach Back, uh, which should start this year around Easter. Yes, and uh, keep a keep an ear for that. We uh, when In the earliest days of KNNA, we played a lot of classical music because we really didn't own any other classical music. And our goal and our intent was to play sacred music and to play Christ-centered hymns. And now that, uh, with the exception of a couple of programs, Programs, that is the bulk of the music that you hear on this radio. What blends the two, the classical music and the sacred, classical sacred music is Bach and several of the other composers like Bach. This is an area of, uh, of great interest and uh, growing expertise for Pastor Moline, and we are really, really looking forward to the bringing back Bach, bringing Bach back. I don't know how you say it, but uh, that program will start right around Easter on KNNA and will run weekly. We'll have some advertising and more details as we get a little bit closer to that. Uh, But I think this music tied in beautifully, and especially that hymn, with uh, regard to Dearest Jesus, What Law Hast Thou Broken? When we ended our first segment, we talked about the reproach. Jesus is the reproach because he is the one bearing the sins of the world, and yet he is the one who has committed no sin. What, What dramatic irony with regard to this day that we call good. Pastor? Yeah, that's exactly why we picked this one to start with, and we'll do some other parts of uh, uh, St. Matthew's Passion by Bach uh, as other bumper music, but that is a reproach, which is a traditional part of the Good Friday service, and so uh, I think it ties in fantastic in that regard. Okay, I want to I go to these reproaches now, and uh, in, in our altar book that stands on the missile stand, you don't uh, hear these terms very often, but uh, not in your regular hymnal, but in the altar book, which I suppose you could look at as a pastor's supplement to the hymnal, uh, how to conduct and what extra things that, I mean, if you put all these things in the hymnal, it would weigh 50 pounds. So the reproaches begin on page 518 of the altar book, and the first reproach is, Thus says the Lord, What have I done to you, O my people, and wherein have I offended you? Answer me, for I have raised you up out of the prison house of sin and death, and you have delivered up your Redeemer to be scourged. For I have redeemed you from the house of bondage, and you have nailed your Savior to the cross. O my people. 
Pastor, those words come from Micah 6. What do they have to do with Good Friday? Well, it is a discussion about the great exchange that takes place. Jesus uh, rescues us from prison, uh, the prison of sin and death. At the same time, Jesus is scourged, uh, beaten by the Roman soldiers. Uh, it's part of the crucifixion process where the person was uh, whipped upon their back to open wounds so that as they hung from the cross, the uh, rough wood of the cross would rub against those wounds and the person would slowly bleed out and it would be tremendous suffering as a result as well. Uh, perhaps uh, you've seen the movie The Passion of the Christ and kind of can give you a little bit of a visual picture of what that looks like. Um, Christ does this for us to take us out of the house of bondage and sin and death. Um, he goes, I mean, think of any, any worse bondage you could have than to be nailed to a piece of wood uh, until you're dead, and that's what Christ does. He goes to the prison of the cross to set us free from the prison of sin and death. It is a shameful way to die, and this shame and this reproach is out in the open for the whole world to see. You know, so often when we have a uh, uh, an execution, a capital punishment now, it's shrouded in secrecy. Television cameras are not brought in. Maybe a, a handful of politicians or family members are there to actually witness it. But this is not on public display. This is not like the Old West where the hangings were in public. Here, Good Friday, this is out in front of God and everyone for the whole world to see. And that is the, the marvelous mystery of our Good Friday worship. How we focus on the death of Jesus on Calvary's cross, and yet it is not a funeral service for Jesus. After each of the reproaches comes a refrain. And these reproaches are designed to be sung. It's not easy to sing them. I'm not sure if they will be sung in part or in whole or next year at Good Shepherd because they are difficult to learn. But there is a sung response to each of these uh, each of these reproaches. Holy Lord God, uh, Holy Lord God, Holy and Mighty God, Holy and Most Merciful Redeemer, God Eternal. Leave us not to bitter death, O Lord, have mercy. Pastor, thoughts on those words? That's our prayer, isn't it? As we send to the foot of the cross and look up at our Lord and God, the one who created us and sustains us, giving us everything we need to support our body and life, as he hangs there bleeding and dying, we stand at the foot of his cross, and this is our prayer. Uh, have mercy on us. Uh, don't let us... Um, be lost into the bitterness of eternal death, but instead show your mercy and your compassion. So when we're saying, when we're asking God to not allow us to have a bitter death, we're not talking about, don't let me burn up in a fiery car crash. Uh, we're not praying that, oh, let me die peacefully in my sleep. What is this bitter death that we're talking about, Pastor? It is the eternal death, the bitter death of hell, uh, the death that um, we deserve by our sin where we will by all rights, we ought to be apart from God forever, suffering for turning our backs upon him uh, in all the sin that we've committed in our life and for our original sin as well. That's the, the death that we don't want to have that God delivers us from by his mercy. The second of the reproaches comes from Jeremiah 2, 6-7. to And again, Pastor, I want to read these words and then uh, have you comment on them. Thus says the Lord, 
What have I done to you, O my people, and wherein have I offended you? Answer me, for I have conquered all your foes, and you have given me over and delivered me to those who persecute me. For I have fed you with my word and refreshed you with living water, and you have given me gall and vinegar to drink, O my people. What a, you know, again, this is the reality. What a a, a stark situation for us. Uh, God's done all these great things. He gives himself. He gives um, uh, peace, mercy. He takes care of all of our enemies. He defeats them and destroys them, especially the enemies of sin, death, and the devil. And what do we do? Uh, we give him gall and vinegar to drink. We turn our backs on him. Uh, we 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 give him the opposite of what it is that he gives us. And this is the reality of our sin. And it's serious, and we need to understand that, especially on Good Friday. Um, we we think of the uh, soldier handing gall and vinegar to Jesus when Jesus is thirsty. It almost turns our stomach when we hear that part of God's word. And so we see clearly here the connection. I want to get to this third reproach before our break. The uh, last reproach is from Isaiah 5, verses 2 to 4. Thus says the Lord, What have I done to you, O my people, and wherein have I offended you? Answer me. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? My people, is this how you thank your God? Oh, my people. Pastor? Is this how you thank your God? And the answer is yes. This is is the way we've acted in our life. This is the, you know, when we've done the little things, it'll be okay this time. Uh, I can get away with it. Uh, No one will see what I'm doing right now, so it's fine. This is uh, us responding to God. He has given us everything. Um, He has provided for us, and we basically spit in his eye. And it's a terrible, terrible thing, um, the way that we reply to God. And yet he still has mercy. He still has compassion. He takes away our sin by dying on the cross uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's worth mentioning between each of these reproaches, we also uh, sing Luther's hymn, Lamb of God, Pure and Holy, Who on the Cross Did Suffer. Uh, we have that uh, hymn uh, sang often uh, in our church services on this Holy Week. Uh, and, uh, and so kind of a neat thing, the way that all these pieces fit together uh, in the way we do it at Good Shepherd. Obviously not as fancy as the way Bach did it, but it's still pretty cool here. Yes, and if uh, if there's any way that you can be in God's house on Good Friday, as you hear the word, sing the songs, see the sights, and realize once again, as if for the first time, God's great gift for you, in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, whose sacred head was wounded. He broke broke no laws, and yet for us, freely and willingly, gave his life for the life of the world. We will be back after the break. Listen a little bit more to Box St. Matthew.
Sundays at noon on KNNA. could listen to that all day. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. This is Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Adam Moline. We're looking at the Good Friday worship in uh, a Lutheran congregation. That is uh, Johann Sebastian Bach. That is uh, the Passion of St. Matthew. And specifically, what piece did we hear, Pastor? That was a chorale with a verse of O Sacred Head Now Wounded. Uh, Remember me, my Savior, my Shepherd, take thou me. The source of every blessing wilt thou forever be. By thine abundant nourished with milk and honey blessed, thy spirit brings me comfort and heavenly joy and rest. You know, I know that uh, you and your wife visited Germany and uh, had the opportunity to go to the Bach House. Tell us just briefly a little bit about the Bach House and why that is a significant place for Christians, but especially Lutheran Christians, to visit. It's a cool place to go and visit uh, because it's a museum. It has uh, uh, instruments from that time period, but I think as Lutherans we often forget uh, who Bach is, Uh, you know, there's no doubt that he is one of the best musicians that ever lived, especially the best Baroque musician ever. But we don't just appreciate him for his music. His theology uh, and his person are decidedly Lutheran. Uh, all the content uh, that is in his music, when you translate it into English, has rich, rich, beautiful theology uh, in the Lutheran faith. Um, he was, first and foremost, Lutheran in the things that he did. And even uh, he began all of his works uh, with uh, three little letters inscribed on the music, uh, SDG, Solo Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Uh, And he also uh, had on there uh, JJ, Jesu Yuva, Jesus help me write this music and perform it to your glory. And, uh, uh, you know, He's he's a Lutheran. Let's let him be a Lutheran. That's let's not just uh, let him be a famous musician. Uh, thank you, and and again, look forward to Pastor Moline's new program. That'll play throughout the year, not just during uh, Lent and Easter and all these kind of things, but to bring a greater appreciation, first of all, a greater knowledge, because I think most of us are ignorant with regard to our history and heritage and uh, how Bach uh ties into that but once we've been uh, once we've been given that knowledge and that understanding to grow in appreciation for a fine music and b fine music that is theologically sound and theologically enriching thanks be to god for that we've been talking about the good friday treori service the 
noon service, the three-hour service that focuses on the last three hours that Jesus hung on the cross, the hours that are shrouded in darkness. We've looked at this service uh, pretty much in great detail with one exception. We skipped over the bidding prayer. Now, the bidding prayer has a a long history, and uh, Pastor, I don't know if you're prepared to talk a little bit about that history of this prayer, but uh, what I want to do is, between the two of us, I want to pray this prayer. It's not long. I want to pray this prayer and then offer some commentary on it. So, thoughts on the history of this prayer first. You know, um, it, it is historical in, in the sense that it is one of the earliest prayers that we have recorded for us. It's called the bidding prayer because it's usually prayed by two people uh, and they offer petitions back and forth. So, you know, the the pastor would bid one, the associate or the assistant would bid the other, and it goes back and forth that way, thus the name, the bidding prayer. And maybe it, we can... Uh, pray the prayer and then talk about it a little more after that. Okay, so what we're what you're about to hear is a prayer that is appropriate any time in the church year, any time in a in a particular church service, but it is specifically designed and appreciated during the Good Friday worship at noon. And so the bidding prayer is two parts. I will be the assistant part, you be the pastor part, and together we'll be the congregation. How does that sound? Sounds good. Let us pray for the whole Christian church, that our Lord God would defend her against all the assaults and temptations of the adversary, and keep her perpetually on the true foundation, Jesus Christ. Almighty and everlasting God, since you have revealed your glory to all nations in Jesus Christ, and in the word of his truth, Keep, we ask you, in safety the works of your mercy, so that your church spread throughout all the nations may be defended against the adversary and may serve you in true faith and persevere in the confession of your name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for all the ministers of the word, for all vocations in the church, and for all the people of God. Almighty and everlasting God, by whose spirit the whole body of the church is governed and sanctified, receive the supplications and prayers which we offer before you for all your servants in your holy church, that every member of you, of the same may truly serve you according to you, your calling, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for our catechumens, that our Lord God would open their hearts and the door of his mercy that, having received the remission of all their sins by the washing of regeneration, they may be mindful of their baptism, and evermore be found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Almighty God and Father, because you always grant growth to your church, increase the faith and understanding of our catechumens, that rejoicing in their new birth by the water of holy baptism, they may forever continue in the family of those whom you adopt as your sons and daughters. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for all in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. O merciful Father in heaven, Because you hold in your hand all the might of man, and because you have ordained for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do well, all the powers that exist in all the nations of the world, we humbly pray you graciously to regard your servants, especially our president, 
the Congress of the United States, our Governor, and all those who make, administer, and judge our laws, that all who receive the sword as your ministers may bear it according to your word, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for our Lord God Almighty, that he would deliver the world from all error, take away all disease, ward off famine, set free those in bondage, and grant health to the sick and a safe journey to all who travel. Almighty and everlasting God, the consolation of the sorrowful and the strength of the weak, may the prayers of those who in any trouble or distress cry to you graciously come before you, so that in all their necessities they may rejoice in your manifold help and comfort through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for all who are outside the church that our Lord God would be pleased to deliver them from their error and call them to faith in the true and living God and his only Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and gather them into his family, the church. Almighty and everlasting God, because you seek not the death but the life of all, hear our prayers for all who have no right knowledge of you. Free them from their error and for the glory of your name, bring them into the fellowship of your holy church. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for peace, that we may come to the knowledge of God's holy word, and walk before him as is fitting for Christians. Almighty and everlasting God, King of glory and Lord of heaven and earth, by whose spirit all things are governed, by whose providence all things are ordered, the God of peace and the author of all concord, grant us, we implore you, your heavenly peace and concord, that we may serve you in true fear, to the praise and glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for our enemies, that God would remember them in mercy, and graciously grant them such things as are both needful for them and profitable for their salvation. O Almighty, everlasting God, through your only Son, our blessed Lord, you have commanded us to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us, and to pray for those who persecute us. We therefore earnestly implore you that by your gracious visitation all our enemies may be led to true repentance and may have the same love and be of one accord and one mind and heart with us and with your whole Christian church. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for the fruits of the earth, that God would send down his blessing upon them and graciously dispose our hearts to enjoy them according to his own good will. O Lord, Father Almighty, by your word you created and you continue to bless and uphold all things. We pray you so to reveal to us your word, our Lord Jesus Christ that through his dwelling in our hearts we may by your grace be made ready to receive your blessing on all the fruits of the earth and whatsoever pertains to our bodily need. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Finally, let us pray for all those things for which our Lord would have us ask, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, 
forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You have just heard the bidding prayer. This is a prayer that is uh, certainly appropriate any time of the church year, and you hear echoes of the various general prayers that we have in the church throughout this bidding prayer. This bidding prayer is specifically designed and encouraged to be prayed on Good Friday, and that's the service that we're looking at in this particular episode, episode 12. Pastor, some general thoughts in the time that we have left on the bidding prayer. I think the bidding prayer does a great job of putting everything that we need to support our body and life uh, and even our eternal salvation into the hands of God, putting it rightly where it belongs, not trusting in ourselves, but in God who creates and sustains us. Uh, it asks the government to be taken care of uh, and to uh, be godly. It asks for the fruits of the earth to be provided so that we, we can eat and, and have home to live in. It asks that we might be kept safe from sickness, weakness, and all those sorts of things. Everything we need, we put in God's hands, which is especially appropriate as our God hangs on the cross, bleeding and dying to forgive us all our sin. Good Friday, one of the most sacred, somber, and marvelous days in the church year. We invite you to join us for worship on Good Friday. We celebrate the Tre Ore service at 1215 on Good Friday. The Tenebrae service of darkness will begin at 730. Those, of course, are Lincoln, Nebraska times. You can check us out live on the radio or uh on the internet live or through the uh, archives on our radio website, www.thecross957.org. And we encourage you to be in God's house on this particular day. We need to take a short break. We'll come back once again and finish up our look at Good Friday. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy. Pastor Moline, it is uh, it is very difficult to not get emotional as uh, we not only ponder Good Friday worship and everything that our Lord and Savior Jesus endured for us, but 
hearing the music and the majesty of Johann Sebastian Bach. The uh, chorale that we were listening to, Pastor, is from Bach's um, Passion According to St. John. St. Matthew. This is, again, Matthew? Yep. Okay. Oh, you, that's right. You said that was the only one you had here at church. And uh, tell us just a little bit about what we heard. Well, the, the hymn tune... Uh, it's familiar, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, but the lyrics that we just heard sung are this. Though from thee temptation lured me, Lord, to thee I come again. Thy forgiveness is assured me through thy son's despair and pain. I do not deny my guilt, but thy mercy, if thou wilt, far exceeds my transgression, of which I must make confession. And uh, it, it falls into the... Uh, the part of the uh, Passion where Peter has just denied Christ and uh, is weeping and feeling sad, having uh, the the rooster crowed, and he realizes what he's done. And it's at that time then that uh, uh, we sing about making confession because all of us have done the very same thing that Peter did at that moment. When, uh, when we contemplate being in God's house on Good Friday, a day we call good, good for us, because this is when Jesus earned our forgiveness, life, and salvation. Not good for Jesus, as he bore the weight of the world on himself and into himself, suspended naked between heaven and earth. This is, uh, this is the most humble and somber day in our church year. Uh, when we begin the day, sometimes the altar is bare. Sometimes the altar is uh, shrouded with, uh, with black and uh, some churches that have a processional cross shroud the processional cross with black and then leave the altar bare. It is, along with Ash Wednesday, the only day in the church year where black is the color of the day. I want to share a few words uh, with regard to the Tenebrae Vesper service. And as you mentioned before, Pastor, we have lots of freedom with regard to these services. There are no hard and fast rules of things that we have to do. But there are some general rubrics. The evening service, the service of darkness, the Tenebrae service, uh, has these particular details. And I want to read this and then uh, get your reaction, Pastor. Traditionally, seven altar candles were extinguished at Tenebrae though the number of candles varies, varied greatly from place to place. In some places, the candles are set in a hearse, and while often triangular in shape, can appear in a variety of designs. While suggestions are given in the service when to extinguish the candles, each congregation must determine the exact extinction points based on the number of candles available and other local traditions. When possible, the lights in the church should gradually be dimmed as the candles are extinguished, though enough light should be kept so that the worshipers can follow the service. I think this is the tenebrae part that most people are familiar with when you've worshipped on Good Friday, especially if you've ever been to a Lutheran church on Good Friday. This service of darkness where the church gets gradually more and more dark. It is very somber. It is very austere. Uh, you have the little kids in the back of the church crying because uh, because it's getting dark and they don't know what's happening. Uh, kind of an haunting, eerie feel to the worship service. And through this whole time, the Word of God is read. Hymns are being sung. Pastor, general comments and then specific comments with regard to the Tenebrae service 
and the darkness, the increasing darkness of the service. It is another somber service being on Good Friday. It is... it is the time when Christ is being taken down from the cross and put in the tomb. We know the disciples asked for the body of Christ. Um, they took him down. You think of the Pieta uh, and all the, the you know the sculpture by Michelangelo. Uh, we have all sorts of uh, paintings of the Pieta um, where you see the stiffened body of Christ with its arms still out out. Uh, outflayed, uh, being taken down and the arms being tied down to the side of his body after rigor mortis and him being placed into the tomb. And this is all happening as the sun is setting. And for the Jews, uh, the setting of the sun begins the um, the Sabbath day, the Passover Sabbath. It's a holy day. They need to get the body in the grave and back to their homes before uh, sun sets. And so all these things are happening in this particular service. Uh, we're We're seeing that darkness arise. And it's not just the darkness at the end of the day, but also the darkness with the reality that the light of the world has been killed on the cross. And it's just a very somber moment. In many churches, there is the tradition, and it is a more recent tradition, that in addition to the increasing darkness, that at the end of the service, the sanctuary is made as completely dark as is humanly possible, living in an era with uh, exit signs and all these kind of emergency things that we have to do. Here's how the altar book talks about this. A more recent addition to Tenebrae, sometimes referred to as the Streptitus, occurs after the last candle is extinguished. The Streptitus consists of a large noise that is made by banging on a pew or slamming shut a large book. This action has a variety of interpretations, including the scourging by the soldiers, the earthquake at the moment of Christ's death, or the closing of the tomb. Pastor, thoughts and comments about the loud noise in the darkness at the end of the Good Friday service. We want to make sure that... um we're not focusing our faith on the emotions that things bring, and yet we also have emotions that God has given us. And the strepitus with the loud noise in the darkness at the end of the service, which which I feel, you know, from my understanding, it does represent the idea of that large stone being rolled in front of the grave. Um, that is a very somber moment and a, a humbling moment. You do have kids that uh, feel that especially and cry or are scared, jump out of their seat at that noise. It, it, is, it is a part of the worship, and yet the Word is the thing that brings the faith, which we've heard throughout the service. Uh, the, the Word sung and spoken that uh, is our main focus. And so we do these things which teach us, uh, about what happened on that first Good Friday evening, and yet our focus is still on the Word, and that's the important part. You, know, you bring up a, a brilliant point here, Pastor, and I think it's probably one that is worthy of discussion, at least for a little bit. As Bible-believing Lutheran Christians, we know that our faith is grounded on the objective person and work of Jesus Christ, Jesus who took flesh and blood, Jesus who in flesh and blood fulfilled the law, suffered and died our substituting death on Calvary's cross. His dead corpse was put in the grave. Three days later, 
physically, bodily, Jesus is alive. We have an objective truth that our faith clings to, that is the object of our faith. God has revealed Christ to us and this objective truth to us in the written word. I think the the correct word is the inscripturated word. And so we have this objective truth that we that we look to. And Lutheran Christians are are very, very wary, and at least they should be, if they've been brought up uh, uh, in the faith, they are wary of people who place too much emphasis on the mountaintop experience, the emotional high. If you don't feel that you're forgiven, you're not really forgiven. All these things that are contrary and, and are clearly errors in Scripture. Pastor, we are not blocks of wood or stone. We are emotional creatures. Um, when I hear certain hymns or certain parts of the liturgy, when I hear uh, certain parts of God's Word, whenever I hear the congregation sing, take they my life, goods, fame, child, or wife, when I hear these things, uh, I am cut to the heart. My emotions are at an all-time high. What can you tell us about a proper balance between an objective faith that is grounded in the objective truth of God and His Word and the fact that we are emotional creatures who tend to let our emotions go crazy. Well, I think that's important as we go through all these services in the Triduum. Uh, the Word is the thing that creates and sustains the faith. Uh, the services are designed to give us all the Word uh, so that we have that faith and understanding. And yet at the same time, we are emotional creatures that ought to have a response to that. Uh, God has given us the emotions. It's good for us to think about them and to feel sorrow at our sin and also joy at what Christ has done to rescue us from that sin. And that's what we're seeking to do in all these services as we walk that fine line. We, uh, you know, I think where we struggle here in the United States is that we, we have the word, but we don't connect that with actual events and realities in the historic past and in a real location. And so when we have things like the strepitus and the darkening of the church uh, or the stripping of the altar, all these things are designed to take what God's Word says and show us these are realities that really truly happened, which is good news for us because we really truly then have forgiveness of sins. And uh, one can't help but feel emotional and happy and uh, sad all at the same time, understanding what awaits us when we one day die and when we one day rise from the dead and have eternal life with God in heaven. And so uh, what a great uh, blessing to be able to do these things uh, in our, our services. Uh, today and in episode 12, we have looked at the Good Friday service in great detail. Encourage you, if you haven't heard the whole program, go back to our uh, archives on our radio website, thecross957.org. Episode 11 is Easter Vigil. Episode 12 is Good Friday. Episode 13 will be Monday, Thursday. The Triduum is a beautiful, beautiful way for Christians to recount the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. Pastor, would you be willing to pray the closing Good Friday collect for us? Let us pray. 
Almighty and everlasting God, you willed that your Son should bear for us the pains of the cross, and so remove from us the power of the adversary. Help us so to remember and give thanks for our Lord's passion, that we may receive forgiveness of sin and redemption from everlasting death. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. This is at home in the hymnal. God's richest blessings on your Lenten journey and your Holy Week observance.